And out front next, Trump's pressure campaign. The former president wants Nikki Haley out, calling her bird brain, questioning her, quote, fancy clothes, saying he doesn't get mad, he gets even. Haley is defiant. She is live this hour. Plus, dramatic new video of the Russian jet crashing near the Ukraine border. 74 people on board killed as questions grow tonight over who is behind that crash. And a passenger notices missing parts on the wing of a plane he boarded that was done to safety instruction ready for takeoff. Tells the crew and the flight is canceled. Why didn't the airline notice it first? He's my guest. Let's go out front. And good evening. I'm Erin Burnett. Out front tonight, Trump bullying Haley. Trump tonight calling her a bird brain who can never win and is bullying on GOP leaders as well as working. They're all just getting on board. I mean, just listen today to the chairwoman of the RNC who had once vowed to stay neutral in this race. I'm looking at the math and the path going forward and I don't see it for Nikki Haley. And that just follows Republican lawmaker after lawmaker who are caving and rushing to jump behind Trump. John Cornyn says, I've seen enough. J.D. Vance, Haley can drop out or help the Democrats. Lindsey Graham, the sooner we unite, the better. And the House Speaker Mike Johnson, it's now past time for the Republican Party to unite around President Trump. Now, when he says let's, uh, it's past time, I just want to pause for some important context, it seems. 0.16% of the United States population has voted. 0.16%. And that 0.16% live in only two states. Now, as for Haley, she says she's determined to stay in the race. We'll see. She is about to take the stage for the first time in her home state after losing to Trump by 11 points in New Hampshire. And while it is fair to say, to me at least, that it does not seem like the founders of this country would ever have wanted 0.16% of the country to make a decision like this in a moment like the one that we are in, the reality appears to be that Trump does have this locked up, two states and two clear wins. So then why, if he does have it locked, And the GOP is all piling on to tell him that they're back in the fold and they're good and it's wonderful and he's got it. Why is the man who, by all measures, on track to become the Republican nominee so personally vitriolic about Haley? Just listen to him last night during his victory speech. And I I do want to remind you again, this was a victory speech. But I don't get too angry. I get even. And when I watched her in the fancy dress that probably wasn't so fancy, you must really hate her vengeful and denigrating. And also, I feel totally comfortable saying this, it's blatantly sexist. What does denigrating her wardrobe and calling it cheap or I don't know what he was trying to say, what does it have to do with anything? But here's the thing, the people who were around Trump in that moment were all on board. Let's just replay that last clip where Trump put Senator Tim Scott on the spot. And I want you to watch the men behind Trump. You're the senator of the state and she endorsed me. You must really hate her. <laughs> <laughs> Laughing like childhood bullies on a playground. Tim Scott and Vivek Ramaswamy laughed through the insults that Trump hurled at the only person still standing in the race against Trump. A race that, by the way, they both lost. And now they're happy to pile on the only person still standing. Happens to be a woman. Diane Gallagher is out front live in Charleston, South Carolina. And Diane, you have been talking to voters there all day. So in the context of all this, there's the reality of whether Nikki Haley is able to get any traction in her home state. What are they telling you? You know, Aaron, this may be Nikki Haley's backyard, but after talking to voters today, South Carolina is Donald Trump's playground. Uh, Look, the Haley campaign insists that it's not going anywhere. They have two new ads up today, part of a $4 million buy. There's the rally tonight. But 
the Trump voters insist she should get out. Her supporters, however, believe that she does have what it takes to stand tall in her home state. At Coastal Coffee Roasters in Somerville, a cup of coffee this time of year comes with a splash of politics. It's been a rough few years. The Palmetto State's Republican primary a month from today. We'll head out to South Carolina where I think we're going to win easily. Nikki Haley, fresh off another decisive loss to former President Donald Trump, looking to voters in the state that elected her governor twice to keep her in this race. But South Carolina voters don't want a coronation. They want an election. But voters here over and over again told us they've already made their choice. Donald Trump, 200%. I will be voting for Donald Trump. Support for Trump remains strong with Republicans in South Carolina, despite his legal troubles and the fact it's now a one-on-one -on -one race with their former governor. I just think that Trump is a stronger presidential figure than she is. I think she should drop out, apologize to President Trump, and join forces so we can try to save this country. Voters frequently citing Trump's long list of high-profile South Carolina endorsements. This election is over. None more than Senator Tim Scott, who was appointed by Haley in 2012. I think there's going to be a surprise where I think Trump's going to landslide. Well, I yeah, I do. With Tim Scott backing him, I do. But not everyone is ready to forfeit the race. Stephanie Bennett says she's technically undecided, but likes Haley. It's her track record as the governor here, and then what she did on the United Nations. And yet she's worried in a month her vote won't matter. I wonder if people aren't going to go into it with a preconceived notion of he's already won. You know, with I just that is a fear. Like get out and vote. Don't think he's already won because I don't think he has. A similar concern about half an hour down the road from William Cogswell, the first Republican elected as mayor of Charleston in over a century. There seems to be the attitude that it is a foregone conclusion. I think she brings uh, a breath of fresh air, and I think our country needs that. He endorsed Haley back in November and still believes in her campaign. And I think she is a fighter. She has beat the odds uh, repeatedly. But Dorchester County Republican Party Chair Stephen Wright, who says he's remaining neutral for now, believes even with a month to go, Haley may already be out of time. I think people like Nikki Haley, but South Carolina is Trump country. The polls indicate that. The enthusiasm on the ground indicate that. Now, talking to Haley supporters, many of them said things like, you know, democracy and choice as part of why they want her to stay in. Although, Aaron, I talked to several who admitted that there is a slight fear that they have if she is beaten by a landslide by Donald Trump in her home state, that it could have a negative impact on her future political aspirations. Certainly the calculus she's got away tonight. All right, Diane, thank you so much. Uh, and, and, and here in our conversation, I mean, Ryan, really interesting hearing all those different perspectives of the people that Diane was speaking to today. Um, you know, some say drop out, some say stay in. They believe in her. Uh, the mayor of Charleston was interesting that she had that conversation. What is the case for Haley staying in right now? Well, Honestly, it's that Donald Trump is 77 years old. Uh, he is facing a number of indictments. Uh, he has a very complicated path forward. And a lot of things can happen over the course of a few weeks. Is it very likely? Absolutely not. But she is not going to be Donald Trump's running mate. I think we'd be reasonably assured of that. She's not going to be a successor 
if Donald Trump wins decisively in this primary contest, uh, you know, for 2028. So this is her shot. If she sees this as an opportunity to make a difference, make a mark, this is when she has to do it. And, you know, uh, again, the odds are against her, but that's been true of her before. I mean, Margaret, you know, she's dealing with, uh, you know, calls her a bird brain, all the sexist, uh, you know, invectitude that he throws her direction. And the fact that, well, the party seems to be getting on board. I've frankly been really invigorated by her chutzpah in the last 24 hours, frankly. Just her willingness to say, you know what? All y'all, I'm staying in anyway, and I'm going to fight. And, you know, you may not believe in me, but I believe in myself. I believe in this campaign. I believe in what it stands for. And I am going to, to sort of be a beacon for something else. And I applaud that. I think this Republican Party needs that desperately. And to Raihan's point, it's hard to see the path. But there, there are always things you don't know. And maybe that's what she's hanging her hat on. Maybe that's sort of a hope and a prayer. Yeah. Um, but frankly, it is, it is the better thing for this country, no doubt. And certainly the better thing for the Republican Party, in my view. Ben? Uh, you got to be proud of her. People have been saying, we wish a Republican would stand up to Donald Trump. Everybody caves to him. Everybody kisses the ring. Everybody falls in line. Why can't somebody stand up to him? She's doing it. Yeah. There's someone doing it. Her name is Nikki Haley. Uh, so she is now the, there, there are two things standing between Donald Trump becoming president of the United States. One's named Nikki Haley, the other's named Joe Biden. Uh, so if you believe that the Republican Party can do better, should do better, can look better, can sound better, there's somebody trying to do that. Her name's Nikki Haley. So to try to push her out now, including a lot of people who just had a cynicism resignation are saying she should get out. It doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense to me. As you say, cynicism but, or resignation. And I, I mean, I made the point, I, you know, look, just my point of view, 0.16% mm-hmm. of America is voting. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it, you know, I understand our system. Yeah. But I think in the context but, of this unprecedented personality that we're talking about, it is incredible to think that we're in a moment where so few people could decide something so momentous. Yeah. Look, I too ad- admire chutzpah and I admire your good use of Yiddish. I'm invigorated <laughs> by that. Uh, but uh, uh, but you know, look, here's the reality, and it has been from the beginning uh, of, of the main part of this campaign. Donald Trump has uh, the support from a really important cohort in these Republican primaries, and that's Republicans, okay? <laughs> he won three to one among Republicans in New Hampshire. She won among independents. But New Hampshire is the most inviting state for independents to participate. The Republicans are there are more moderate. Yeah. And once you leave this phase, I think South Carolina is a winner-take-all state. A lot of these primaries are winner-take-all. So hanging around is hard. You know, being the symbolic figure in this race again and again and again is hard. And there's a question of how long you can raise money to do that. And what ultimately are you uh, what, what, are you, what are you looking at down the road here? She's 52 years old. I think she's not done or doesn't want to be done. I don't think she's ready to make the Chris Christie decision because he was sort of a suicide bomber in this thing um, and knew it going in. I don't think she, she's not been willing to go as far as, uh, as, uh, as Christie did. And what do you do in this race? What, ha- what you heard in that video were people saying, we liked her. She was a good governor. We think she was we, we, we're supportive of her, but we like Trump more for president. And so how do you change their minds without actually making a very strong case against Donald Trump? And what is the cost of doing that again and again and again to her? These are the calculations she has to make. Well, this is one thing that is important to keep in mind is that Donald Trump running in 2024 is markedly different than in 2016. Yep. You have the improvisational Trump 
on the stump, making that victory speech. But you also have the very disciplined Trump campaign. Susie Wiles, yes. this team, they know yes. what they're doing, and they made a policy pitch. They were hitting Nikki Haley from the right on immigration and then hitting her from the left on Social Security. That discipline could be something that carries them through, and we can't underestimate yeah. the efficacy and the fact that he's really thought that message through. And I guarantee you that they did not say... Go on out there and act like a jackass and, and, and go after Nikki Haley in really personal, sexist ways and humiliate Tim Scott. That was, his, that was the improvisational Trump. The challenge for his campaign team is they can do all the blocking and tackling well, and they are, but they can't control him. Yeah. That was a really horrible exhibition last night, and it only probably made Haley more determined to try and stay. Whether she does, I think, is an open question, but he didn't help himself in that project. No, no, I mean, it didn't sound, didn't sound much like victory. All right, Margaret, today, um, it, Biden got a big endorsement. And it was an endorsement. I mean, you know, I wouldn't ordinarily say this was a big endorsement because one would expect it, but it had actually been up for grabs in some senses. Trump has been courting uh, unions and the UAW aggressively. Uh, and he wanted this one badly. He went to Michigan, you know, during the entire strike. And um, auto workers for Trump signs were showing here. Biden ended up getting that. So, I mean, okay, so I understand you would ordinarily expect it, but it wasn't necessarily a sure thing. What does it mean? I mean, what I think it, I don't, I don't actually, I'm not at all surprised. I don't think any political operative is surprised. I mean, there was not really a chance the United Auto Workers, American Auto Workers were actually going to endorse Donald Trump. I mean, even when, raising his eyebrows even when, I, okay, I mean, please feel free to about this when I finish, but it just, (laughs) when Donald Trump and Joe Biden had, basically competing campaign events in Michigan earlier this year. Recall Donald Trump had to try to go get auto workers to show up and he had a really difficult time. I mean, it almost became sort of, it was like a big political campaign flop. And Donald and Joe Biden came away with, you know, the campaign slogan and the, and the, all the campaign footage. I, it just, I don't, I, I recognize that winning those voters won't be as uniform as it has in the past. Uh, for Joe Biden, um, and and this is an area where Trump has done well. I, I you're right that it's it should have been an easy layup, um, but it wasn't, and it's because the Republican Party is trying to become the party of the multiracial working class, and uh, I'm proud uh, that the UAW leadership at least recognizes that unions have been doing better under Joe Biden have been growing more, have been winning victories. I live in Los Angeles. We, the whole town was shut down for six months in a strike against AI. The, yeah. the union movement is growing. If you're, if you're a proud working class person, you've got to be proud of unions. If you're proud of unions, you should be proud of Joe Biden. And I was glad that the union, at least leadership, recognized that this is a, a pro-union president, more so than any in my lifetime. And he deserved that. He, did, he, he earned that endorsement. He didn't inherit it. It, it, was a, it. it would have been a blow if sure. they did not endorse him. It was right. important for him to get that endorsement. And message is also really important here. They will uh, amplify this message that Van is speaking about, which is an important contrast with Trump. Trump talks like the working class, but he doesn't govern in their, to their benefit. And I think this is going to be a big contrast in the campaign. Guys, he bought the endorsement. <laughs> okay, Joe Biden has channeled billions of dollars to b- the big three automakers. He was on the picket line with the UAW. This UAW leadership is hard left. What, what you, this what, was going to happen. You, you say right. he bought it. I say he earned it by being a good president for, for, for labor. Well, right. I, I will. I respectfully I will. disagree. All right. And I guess we'll leave it like that. At least we keep it respectful in this forum. Uh, <laughs> thanks to all of you. And next, breaking news. The House investigation of Republican Matt Gates. A big development there. The committee now reaching out to a woman 
who allegedly had sex with the congressman as a minor. Plus, questions growing over the fate of the Fulton County DA who's investigating Trump and is accused of mis- mis- misusing taxpayer funds while having an alleged affair with her lead prosecutor. Can Fonnie Willis survive? I'm going to speak to a former assistant DA there who knows Willis and her prosecutor. And it is becoming one of the most watched races in the United States, one that could give Democrats a shot at taking back the House. But can they win back George Santos's seat? This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Breaking news, CNN reporting exclusively that the House Ethics Committee investigating Republican Congressman Matt Gates has contacted the woman Gates allegedly had a sexual relationship when she was a minor. This is according to a source familiar with the committee's work. It's a sign that the Republican-led committee's investigation into Gates has expanded to include questions of alleged sex crimes. Paula Reed is out front. Paula broke this exclusive reporting. Um, so what more can you tell us about the allegations and the where the House is in, in the investigation? In addition to the outreach to this woman, the committee has also reached out to the Justice Department, asking for materials in its years-long investigation into the congressman. Now, the investigation into Congressman Gates actually began under Trump-appointed uh, Attorney General Bill Barr, and it went on for several years, and it expanded beyond these allegations of sex with a minor to include uh, obstruction of justice, potential lobbying violations, sex trafficking, The ultimately... The congressman was not charged, but his close associate, Joel Greenberg, did plead guilty to a series of crimes, including soliciting and having sex with a minor. Now, in a statement tonight, the congressman responding to our reporting saying, quote, those allegations were not true, have never been true, and the people who spread those lies have been exposed, indicted and imprisoned. So you talk about the DOJ. I understand that sources are telling you that the committee has contacted the DOJ formally and they've requested some of that information from the investigation that you're talking about into Gates. What do you know about that? So what's interesting about the ethics investigation is that it sort of was on hold, right? It was open in 2021, and then they decided to yield to the Justice Department's investigation. But when the Justice Department wrapped up midway through last year, this investigation was revived. And as we report tonight, the congressman, he was very frustrated and blamed then House Speaker Kevin McCarthy for allowing the ethics probe to be revived. And Kevin McCarthy has said that he believes that Gates allowed those frustrations to drive his his attempt, his actually successful effort, <laughs> to push McCarthy right from the speakership. Right. But now, right, in a post-Speaker McCarthy world, the investigation not only continues this ethics probe, but it's expanding. The big question now is to what extent will the Justice Department be willing to hand over materials without a subpoena and even then? 
So that's the next thing to watch. All right, but uh, obviously significant that there are developments here on this front. Paula, thank you so much. And I want to turn now to the investigation of former President Trump in Georgia, where the focus has turned from Trump to the top prosecutor on the case, the Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis. And there are questions tonight over Willis's future. Uh, she has been alleged as part of this to have misused taxpayer funds while having an affair with the person she selected to be the lead prosecutor in the case against Trump, a man named Nathan Wade. He is accused of billing Willis and the county, so taxpayers, for hundreds of thousands of dollars of work on the case, money that was allegedly used to help pay for their lavish vacations together. So in a court hearing next week now, we understand we could hear from Wade for the first time about the allegations against him and Willis. Daryl Cohen joins me. He is the former Fulton County Assistant District Attorney. And I know, Daryl, that you know both Nathan Wade and Fonnie Willis. Uh, so, so you've known them both over the years. In that context, were you surprised when you heard all of these allegations? I was disappointed, Aaron, that I heard all of these allegations. It's not something that I wanted to hear. It's something that we have to deal with. And I was disappointed, as I mentioned, but things happen sometimes. So um, it, it, you say, but things happen sometimes. What do you think should happen now as a result, right? I mean, there's now a county investigation uh, into this. Uh, I know that, that obviously uh, the judge involved in the Trump uh, election case uh, also is, is having a hearing. Should Fonnie Willis step aside? That's a very good and interesting question and one that we're going to find out. But there's so many things. Fonnie used bad vision. She could not see the forest for the trees. Sometimes affairs of the heart take over affairs of the logic. And in this case, I think Fonnie didn't mean to do anything nefarious, but what she did was at best inappropriate. The optics are bad. My dad was an eye doctor, and if he saw someone that had bad vision, he did what he could to correct it. I think that's what Fonnie needs to do now. She could be excused from this case. She could be reprimanded. The judge could say, hey, Fonnie, don't do that again. Nathan Wade could be excused from the case. Uh, the Fulton County DA's office could be excused. I don't see any of that happening. If I were Fonnie, I would just say to the public, I'm sorry, I made a mistake and the optics are bad, but we did nothing illegal, immoral, or unethical. Okay, so then to that point though, Daryl, do you think a jury, I mean, I guess that's the, the, the lens you have to put on this uh, to, keep, to keep with the eye references here because I won't make it more national, but do you think that a jury could look at that and say, okay, uh, this is a real case, or does this impact their view of the credibility of the actual case itself? If the jurors, if this case ever gets to trial, and if the jurors listen to the evidence or the lack of evidence, certainly they're going to be affected in some way by what has taken place today, yesterday, last week, last month. Yeah. But I think as time goes by, Jurors are like regular people. That's what they are. As time goes by, this is going to be more and more faint in the background, and I don't really think it's going to have any effect on the trial, be Trump convicted, be he acquitted, be it a mistrial. So if Willis steps aside, though, and I understand you're saying you don't think that she will need to, but if she does, and there are a lot of calls for that, because you know them both and you know the office, 
Do you think, Daryl, that there is someone strong enough to take over the case and have it move forward expeditiously? Or, or does this case essentially fall apart? I don't think the case is going to fall apart regardless of what happens. It may be lost or won by the DA's office in Fulton, but it's not going to fall apart. What we are looking at, Nathan Wade had a very thin, very thin amount of of experience as far as RICO, which is what most lawyers have. But he is probably a very good head coach, and that's what they're looking for. So if Fani happens to step aside and say, I'm going to recuse myself because I don't like the optics, then if Nathan Wade stays, he stays as a head coach. There are other people in the office that can handle that case mm. because it's piece by piece. It's not one person doing everything. It's several people doing something. All right. Well, Daryl, I appreciate your perspective on this, uh, given that you know the office and know them both. Thanks. Thank you. And next, we have some new video into the show of the moment a Russian jet crashed near the Ukraine border overnight. Everyone on board was killed. Russia tonight is claiming the jet suddenly changed course just before the crash. And this is a tea party that you do not want to be invited to, and we'll explain. Tonight, dramatic new video into Outfront capturing the moments a Russian plane crashed in Belgorod right along the Ukraine border, bursting into a massive fireball. All 74 on board were killed. The Kremlin says the plane was carrying Ukrainian prisoners of war and accused Ukraine of shooting it down. President Volodymyr Zelensky tonight broke his silence on the crash, saying, quote, given that the plane crash happened on Russian territory, that is beyond our control. Fred Plykin is out front. The final moments of the Russian military plane's flight, diving to the ground, seemingly out of control. After the impact, the jet explodes in a giant fireball. I heard only two explosions, this eyewitness says. The first one was a dull bang, then an explosion, then big flames. Russian media showing debris scattered across a large area at the crash site. Authorities say no one on board survived, including 65 Ukrainian prisoners of war sick to be exchanged the same day. Moscow blaming Kiev for the incident. The Ukrainian side launched an air defense missile from the Kharkiv side, Russia's foreign minister said. It targeted the airplane and was a fatal strike. The Ukrainians haven't denied shooting the plane down, but Kiev says the Russians never told them they'd be flying the Ukrainian POWs to Belgorod, holding Moscow responsible for the loss of life and the failed exchange. Landing a transport plane in a 30-kilometer combat zone cannot be safe and in any case should be discussed by both sides because otherwise it jeopardizes the entire exchange process, a military intelligence statement says. Based on this, we may be talking about planned and deliberate actions of the Russian Federation to destabilize the situation in Ukraine and weaken international support for our country. Ukraine says Russia often uses the IL-76 cargo jets to transport missiles used to target Ukrainian cities and civilian infrastructure. A recent attack killing and wounding scores in Kharkiv in Ukraine's northeast. When the missile attack started, I kneeled down near the washing machine, this woman says. Look, something hit me here. Glass, glass, but I'm alive. Some people died and my flat is gone. 
The Ukrainians have vowed revenge for missile attacks like these and say they consider Russian cargo planes transporting missiles to be legitimate targets. And Fred, it's just incredible to think about that those prisoners of war, at least they say, were headed for an exchange. Uh, uh, just an absolutely horrible event. I mean, the context here, of course, is that the Ukrainians have a dire weapon shortage as the front lines uh, continue. And I know you are there on the ground. You've been seeing what they have and what they don't have. You've been watching the frustration. Uh, what is it like there in context of the U.S. lack right now of support. Well, I think the situation for the... Yeah, Aaron, I think the situation is actually for the Ukrainians even a lot worse than many people realize uh, back home in the U.S. The ammo shortage really is dire. And, you know, I've been uh, on some of the most active front lines here in this country. And every single one of those, the soldiers on those front lines have been saying the biggest problem for them is a shortage of ammo, especially 155 millimeter artillery shells. And in some cases, they're even having to shoot smoke ammo at the Russians, at advancing Russians, because they simply don't have explosive artillery ammo anymore to, to fire at them. And one of the things that the Ukrainians are saying that's really getting to them is the fact that they're not getting enough resupply, but the Russians are, because the Russians are not only outproducing right now the U.S. and its allies, but the Russians also got a million shells from the Ukrainians. And that's led to some pretty scathing comments from some Ukrainian politicians. I want to listen into what the foreign minister of this country, Dmitry Kuleba, said to German publication Bild. Let's listen in. As ridiculous as it may sound, but it seems that North Korea is a more efficient partner to Russia than, uh, uh, than friends who try to supply uh, Ukraine with artillery ammunition. And that's ridiculous and it must be changed. That's ridiculous and it must be changed, he says. And, you know, what we're also seeing on the front lines is that the Ukrainians, by and large, are able to hold up a lot of those Russian assaults. But, of course, it comes at great cost. And they say it's making them all the more difficult that they don't have enough ammo, Aaron. All right, Fred Plaikin, thank you very much along those front lines. Amazing there from the foreign minister uh, that North Korea is a more efficient partner to Russia than the U.S. to Ukraine right now. Thank you, Fred. And next, I'm going to speak to the passenger who noticed parts missing on the wing of his jet just before takeoff. How did the airline not catch that? And the race to replace George Santos, now one of the most closely watched special elections in the United States. Democrats desperately want the seat back. Do they have a chance? The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. New tonight, the Boeing CEO facing growing questions from lawmakers after several troubling incidents, including, of course, this moment when the door plug shot out of the side of a plane at 16,000 feet over Portland. CEO Dave Calhoun insisting his planes are safe. We fly safe planes. We don't Easy put airplanes in the air that we don't have 100 percent confidence okay. in. Unfortunately, it comes as we learn of another incident on a Boeing plane, this time in Atlanta, Georgia, where a Delta flight was taxiing for takeoff this weekend when a tire on the nose of the plane came loose and fell off. 
Tower audio capturing the moment. The pilot right behind the plane actually saw it and flagged it. Delta 982, this is the aircraft looking at you. you one of your nose tires just came off. It just rolled off the runway uh, behind you. All right, tell you what, let me uh, talk to maintenance tower. Uh, let me have a, uh, I'm going to contact our maintenance folks. And tonight we're also hearing the story of one passenger on an Airbus flight from Manchester, England to New York. He looked out his window for takeoff and he saw this. Looks like missing parts and empty holes on the wing of the plane. He had just boarded. So he alerted the crew. All the passengers were ordered to get off that plane and his flight was canceled. That passenger, Phil Hardy, is out front now. And Phil, you know, you shared the, the video with us of what you saw. And then you shared this video where you can see an engineer uh, out there. This, this is like you looking through the window of the plane. Uh, and he's tinkering on the wing with a screwdriver. Virgin Atlantic says the tops of four fasteners were missing. So you go, you sit down, you're getting ready to come uh, to, the, to New York. How did you notice this in the first place? Well, I was just looking out the window, as you do. There's not a great deal else to do. And I'm one of these people that notice things. And some just didn't look odd because you could see the white screws in the line and then just four black holes. So I took a picture, zoomed in closer, and you could actually see that there were holes. So then you do, you do what? Is a flight attendant walking by or you ring the button? I mean, everything, everybody's loading but you find someone on the flight crew to tell them. Tell me how that, how that went down and how they reacted when you pointed out the window. Well, luckily the flight crew had just finished their uh, pre-flight safety briefing. So there was a flight attendant just to my right hand side. So I got her attention, uh, let her know. Um, she got the supervisor who came down. I showed him the photos that I'd taken. He then borrowed my phone to go and show the captain um, the pictures. And then about 10 minutes later, an engineer appeared on board. So captain looks at it. Captain wants an engineer. Then the mechanic goes out. What did you see uh, as the mechanics, uh, I guess, I, I don't know, were they walking on the wing or what, what's happening on the wing? Well, it first appeared out the corner of my eye on the uh, mechanical lift, getting a closer inspection. And I could see him confirm down to one of his colleagues on the ground that they were actually missing this uh, first glance he thought that they were just covered up, but still in place. Uh, how did the passengers on the plane or the passengers around you react? Did people realize what was going on? Uh, I think the passengers directly adjacent to me realized what was going on. However, I found out later on that um, most of the people on the plane thought I was just complaining because my TV wasn't working, which was why the engineer came on board. <laughs> Uh, I guess it's, I'm smiling, although, uh, you know, I mean, it's in this environment, I, you know, when you think about it, it's, it is scary. I mean, now, now, Phil, Virgin Atlantic and Airbus, they're stressing, they say the plane still would have been safe to fly had it taken off. You know, Virgin Atlantic, they're saying in a statement the flight was canceled to provide time for precautionary additional engineering maintenance checks. And they say the safety of our customers and crew is always our top priority. And this was not compromised at any point. You know, Airbus, uh, their comment on this is uh, that a secondary structure panel used to improve the aerodynamic performance of the aircraft. Each of these panels has 119 fasteners, so there was no impact to the structural uh, integrity. Now, look, uh, you know, you and I aren't sitting here as engineers, but the, the question to you, Phil, as a passenger sitting there, you looked out, you saw all that, you saw what happened, the captain wanted a mechanic, uh, you hear the statements, do they make you feel any better? Um, 
No, to be fair, some of it put me in doubt. I mean, uh, as trying to put my mind to rest, they explained that the screws were actually still there. They weren't missing. It was only the heads that had come off. Now, surely it's the heads that's the important part of the screws. And if the panel was designed with 119 screws, but safe to fly without four missing, then why wasn't it designed with 115 screws? So these things do cross your mind, but like you say, we're not engineers and they do know what they're talking about. So you have to kind of put your trust in them. Yeah, but it is uh, it is the case, though, that that, that that trust, of course, has now been called into question with some of these other incidents. So uh, it is it is important. I'm sure everyone on that flight was very grateful that you did what you did and, and raised your hand. Thanks so much, Phil. No problem. And we reached out to FAA certified pilot and mechanic Jeff Simon about the incident. And he told us, quote, it's unfortunate that the discrepancy appears to have been discovered by a passenger. That would lead one to believe the airline was unaware of the discrepancy and that ultimately the quality system broke down somewhere. Well, next, the race to replace George Santos is heating up. And this is a race that could ultimately lead to a change in the balance of power. It is a crucial one. Special report on that next. And then an American chemistry professor stirring the pot over how to make tea. And tensions are boiling across the pond. So tonight, the race to replace George Santos is now the most closely watched special election in the United States, and it is only two weeks away. Democrats are hoping to flip the seat. Can they do it? Miguel Marquez is out front. Big win, big win, come on. In the race to replace George Santos, voting day in this special election, a little over two weeks away. On a scale from one to 10, how motivated are you to vote in this election? Oh, uh, 11. Santos flipped the seat from Democrat to Republican in 2022. The Democrats hope to take it back. It's a race that will have national implications. The biggest question, who will actually vote? How much of this is left over concerns about George Santos and the, and the, the madness that that was and the fact that he wasn't properly vetted? That's probably in the back of my mind, too. Like, we don't need someone untried. <laughs> you can go look at the video. What might be most amazing? George Santos, a freshman congressman whose lies, alleged criminal behavior, and general drama catapulted him to national prominence, national joke, then ex-congressman. Expelled from Congress on Friday by a vote of 114 Shantae you stays. <laughs> To 311 sachet away. Santos now on the celebrity video sharing website, Cameo. Hey, Aaron, it's George Santos. Plays the tiniest of cameos in the race to replace him. I do believe that uh, the Santos effect is going to be minimal as far as, you know, how people vote. And I think they're just going to be happy that it's not George Santos. Neither candidate, Democrat Tom Suozzi, nor Republican Mozzie Pillup, making Santos central to their campaigns. We've all moved beyond George Santos. It's over. Whether you voted for George Santos or not, everybody was very, very upset with him in this district. Do you think that matters to your race, to this race? Absolutely not. They know who I am. For some of Pillup's supporters, Santos, a non-factor. It's all about where they see the nation heading. How can you not be concerned with what's going on in this country? Such as? <laughs> Such as the illegal immigration, which we call immigration, and give money to those people. Such as crime. Do you think 
one side or the other has the edge? No. I look at this as, I mean, I really think this race is going to be a real barn burner. Michael Dewidziak worked on campaigns, mostly Republican, locally and nationally, for more than 40 years. Like most special elections, he says, neither issues nor Santos will matter. What wins in these elections then? It's just hard work. There's no magic. It's, it's, it's hard, hard work. It's getting on the phones. It's knocking on doors. It's, 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 it's a lot of work and a lot of organization. You've got to work and pull that vote out. And, and that's what wins these elections. Lawrence Miller, a progressive, was angry over George Santos's chaotic time in office. But that's not his motivation for supporting centrist Tom Swazi. Part of me is happy with his reaching across and bipartisan moderate position in this time because we need bipartisanship because the country is so fractured. Okay, now for the record, that cameo appearance by George Santos was not Aaron, this Aaron, Aaron Burnett, I'm afraid to say. Uh, Look, if one thing George Santos can do, he's a rarity. He can bring both Democrats and Republicans together. They seem to dislike him uh, similarly. Uh, He hasn't said much about this election, though, only that he's not voting for a Democrat if he votes at all. It's going to be a fascinating one and so much at stake. All right. Thank you to Miguel. And next, an international brouhaha between the U.S. and the U.K. And yes, there will be even more tea puns after this. Tonight, causing a stir. Tensions between the U.S. and U.K. boiling over after an American chemistry professor concluded that adding a pinch of salt is the secret to a perfect cup of tea. Well, the professor spilled the tea in a new book for which she researched documents spanning more than 1,000 years, did her homework, and she says the salt works to make the tea less bitter. Well, this is now a piping hot controversy across the pond. Just listen to how they're talking about it on British TV. I think the fact is, she's an American making a cup of tea. Which by definition means she's not an expert. (laughs) Wow. It's the biggest brouhaha between Brits and Americans over tea since, well, you know. Well, the U.S. Embassy in London read the tea leaves and issued an official response, selling out the American professor, saying in a statement, quote, We want to ensure the good people of the U.K. that the unthinkable notion of adding salt to Britain's national drink is not official United States policy and never will be. Well, thanks for joining us. Anderson starts now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.